Praise the Lord. Come on, Presbyterians. Praise the Lord. Stand with me all over the church. If there is one thing I'm always uncomfortable with, it is when someone says all those things about Devin and I because I know had it not been for the Lord none of this would be and I am certainly indebted to the Lord and grateful to God and to God be the glory can you say amen to God be the glory help me welcome our Athens family come on tell Pastor Chris and Amy good morning we love you I, uh, I thank God for Dean and Paul, and I thank God for Bill, and you may wonder where Bill was. He's one of our trustees. I want you to say a very special prayer for him. Uh, Dean uh, uh, was here this morning. Paul was on video. Bill uh, is in the hospital, and he needs a touch in his body today. He's getting one, but I pray that God finishes the healing in his body today. It looks like he could go home sometime today, if not today, perhaps tomorrow, uh, tomorrow probably, but there's just some things God is working out. Uh, I think he's probably watching now with Doris, his precious wife. Lord, we send up a prayer for our beloved brother, Bill Barker. Bill the thrill. Lord, we pray for him now that while he's laying in that hospital bed needing a touch in his heart, he would receive it. I'm asking you to bring him out of AFib, calm that heart down. Lord, let it beat with regularity. I pray you'll touch him right at the place where he needs it today. We love him and we thank you for him. And God, we pray now for the Holy Spirit to go to him in that hospital room and heal his body in Jesus' name, amen. I want you to go to Luke chapter one, and we are in a season of hope. Look at someone tell your neighbor we're in a season of hope. And, um, and if, you, if you don't have hope, my prayer is you're about to get some hope. Because I'm gonna tell you life is better when you got a hopeful expectation about the future. How many know we, we, when you get in your car, your rear view mirror is much smaller than your windshield? because where you've been is significant, but where you're going is much bigger and, and I think it's greater. And so somebody needs to get focused on tomorrow. And I wanna tell you what little orphan Annie said, the sun will come out tomorrow. You can bet your bottom dollar that tomorrow there'll be sun. How many know it's gonna get better because God is in your tomorrow? I know, I know that, that we got other things going on, but I'm going to say it again because somebody needs hope for tomorrow. How many know that the sun is going to come back out in your life and there is going to be hope for tomorrow? I want you to go to Luke chapter 1. And I want you to look over there with me. I was in Luke 1 last week, but I'm not through with Luke 1 yet. Luke 1 verse 67. Um, and... I will start reading there. Let me remind you that verse 57 says this. Now Elizabeth's full time came for her to be delivered and she brought forth a son. 
How many know that baby was John the Baptist? Yes, John the Baptist was the child's name. And now the dad, Zechariah, who has been mute for nine months, is getting ready to say a thing. And um, here's what he says. Verse 67, when you got it, say amen. Now his father, Zacharias, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed is the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. And he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets who have been since the world began that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to perform the mercy promise to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath which he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we should be delivered from the hand of our enemies and might serve God without fear. Boy, this is good right here. How many know God wants you to serve him without fear? Uh-huh. In holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life. And you, child. Now watch this. The father is singing a prophetic song, and then he begins to sing over his son, John the Baptist. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the highest. For you will go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways to give knowledge of salvation to his people by the remission of their sins through the tender mercy of our God with which the day spring from on high has visited us to give light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. So the child grew. Somebody say the child grew. So the child grew and became strong in spirit and was in the desert till the day of his manifestation to Israel. And that's a lot of scripture, but I'm going to tell you that scripture is a song. And today I want to preach on this thought, a song after the silence. A song after the silence. Look at your neighbor say, neighbor, I may not sound good. But I'm going to sing anyway. Yeah, 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 yeah. In fact, my prayer is this morning that this whole congregation be turned into a, a choir. And that some people who've been sitting in silence come out of the silence and begin to roar with a song of worship and a prophetic song of praise. And I feel like somebody who don't even think they know how to sing is going to have a song that shifts the atmosphere and that moves heaven a little closer to earth. How many are thankful that there is a song after the silence? Father, bless us today. May the word of the Lord pierce our hearts. May hope rise. May doubt die. May our faith be strengthened. Oh God, we need you. And we look to you today for your help, for your hope, and for your strength in Jesus' name. And everyone said amen. You can be seated in the presence of the Lord. I told you last week um, 
that after the close of Malachi, there was a strange and unusual silence that occurred among the people of God. It was a spiritual silence that lasted just over 400 years. God in his kindness and goodness had sent prophet after prophet to declare what he was going to do for his people. He told Jeremiah that the days are coming. This is Jeremiah 33 verse 14. The days are coming when I will fulfill the promise I made to the house of Israel and the house of Judah. And in those days at that time, I will make a just shoot spring up from the house of David. He will do what is right and just in the land. And in those days, Judah will be saved. Jeremiah said that about the coming Messiah. Then you flip over to Isaiah. Isaiah prophesied about this coming king in the ninth chapter, the sixth verse. He said, for unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulders. And his name shall be called. I like this. Wonderful. Counselor. Mighty God, everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. I've been saying this for a few years now, but my Mr. Wonderful was not born in a penthouse in Orlando, or my Mr. Wonderful's not in some high rise in Dallas. My Mr. Wonderful was born in a manger 2,000 years ago. His name shall be called, the prophet said, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace of the increase. Isaiah said, of the increase of his government, there will be no end. It was a prophetic glimpse of the one that was on the way. Isaiah got so much of this prophetic insight that he couldn't stop writing about the coming Messiah. And he wrote over in the 53rd chapter, who hath believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he, this Messiah who is coming, will grow up before him as a tender plant. As a root out of dry ground, he hath no form nor comeliness. And when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we desire of him. He is despised. He will be rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, Isaiah said, he saw this. He didn't know what he was seeing, but he saw prophetically that the people of God would hide their face, the third verse says, from him. For he was despised and we esteemed him not surely. Isaiah said, he will bear our griefs. He carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, wounded and afflicted, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquity. The chastisement of our peace will be upon him. And by his stripes, Isaiah said, one is coming whose, whose stripes will bring healing to his people. You understand that when Jeremiah and Isaiah and every other prophetic voice prophesied about the coming Messiah. They did it hundreds, some thousands of years before he came. And after this prophet of Malachi, uh, this prophet Malachi spoke, there was 400 years where there was no more prophetic voice telling us about the one who was to come. Over 400 Old Testament prophecies spoke about the coming Messiah and the Redeemer who was to come. Jesus did not just shoot up out of nowhere. The seed of the Messiah was planted in the Garden of Eden. 
In the midst of the first failure of humanity, God already had a plan. I'm thankful that Jesus didn't decide to die one day in Jerusalem, but the Bible said before the foundation of the world, he was already decided to be the lamb who was slain. You need to understand that Jesus was not just an arrival, he was the fulfillment. He was not just a last minute game time decision. The earth had been filled with prophetic promises of his coming for thousands of years before he came. And yet after the last prophetic voice, Malachi says the hearts of the fathers will be turned to the children. And the hearts of the children will be turned to the fathers. After this Prophetic voice Malachi declares that there is coming the son of righteousness who will rise with healing in his wings. When we find the final period of the prophecy of Malachi, you flip from Malachi to Matthew and you think this happened the next day. But please understand that chronologically there were 400 years of an intertestamental period between the Old Covenant and the New. Between the Old Testament and the New. Between Malachi and the writer Matthew, there were 400 years that we call the 400 years of silence. I don't like silence. How many in this room understand that sometimes life will send you seasons of silence? I found out recently that my Genesis doesn't like silence. Most of you know that several weeks ago, I took a seven-day trip to Israel. And, and uh, while I was over there, you know, there's seven hours ahead in Israel. And so I was trying to, to synchronize my FaceTiming with my family so that I could see their face. And uh, everyone processed seeing my face like they usually do. It wasn't that big a deal to them. But there was a 19-month-old in my house who when she saw my face, it was a bit of a different uh, response. And so about the third day, I forgot about FaceTiming everybody else because they all had stuff going on, but there was someone excited to see me. So I started FaceTiming my Genesis. I said, I need to see Genesis. And so she would be playing or something and she would see my face and she would get that, she would get that kind of that attitude and sass that she has. And you know, she was playing hard to get with me, but then she warmed up and started kissing the phone because she missed her daddy. And the, the night that I got back, I was jet lagged. I was trying to get back in my system. And, um, and we've been taking Genesis on a journey as a 19 month old of sleeping through the night. She hasn't gotten a memo yet but we're still working with her and there is a work going on in process. And the night that I got back, she woke up at three o'clock in the morning and I'm, I am in another stratosphere of sleep. I am in REM sleep. I am, I am beyond this world. I am in another place catching up on sleep. And all of a sudden I hear her screaming out of her baby bed, which is in our bedroom. And she says, daddy, daddy. And I said nothing and Devin tapped me. She said, let her cry for a minute. And we're trying to process this whole thing of getting rest. And so, so she didn't take silence for an answer. A few moments later, she said, Daddy, Daddy. And uh, I said, I better go get her. I want to hold her. You know, I want to squeeze her. I ain't seen her in seven days. And Devin said, just let her, let's let her be for a minute. Let her be for a minute. And the third time she said, get up. <laughs> it's true. Ask Devin. She said, get up, Daddy. 
get up. It's three o'clock in the morning. It's Saturday night. I got to preach the next morning. I get up early on Sunday. And I said, I got to get up. I got to go see her. She doesn't like that she can see me in the bed laying there and I am not responding to her voice. She doesn't like silence. She wanted me to respond. How many know if the truth be known, we like for God to respond? And how many can agree with me that we like him to respond immediately? But can we be honest this morning and tell the truth? And can we just get this out on the table that sometimes God does not immediately say something? I, I find it, in fact, as I studied this over the last several days, I found this challenging to agree with that God would be silent for 400 years. But I found out that God is not really silent when we cannot hear him. He's actually working. Uh, what does silence produce? I have discovered, number one, that silence is necessary for processing. Silence is necessary for properly processing something. We talk about being a prophetic church and a prophetic people and prophetic words getting shared all the time. And, and sometimes people who have a prophetic word need to slow down long enough to process what they heard. Y'all not gonna help me right here. Y'all, y'all, what's the next word? Well, why don't we find out if you got the last one? Why don't we find out if you properly acknowledged and received the last delivery? Because sometimes God cannot speak what's next because we haven't properly accepted what he said now. Every now and then I tell you about my, my walking in Devon's jogging adventures, right? And, and so we, you know, I got the baby, I'm pushing the stroller, we're walking, Devin comes jogging by, and people say, don't that make you feel bad she's jogging and you're walking? No, mind your own business, I'm having a good time while I'm walking. And she came jogging by a couple of weeks ago. We were jogging. I had music playing and I'm listening to Christmas music with the kids. I'm pushing them through the thing. And she said, you ought to try turning that phone off and having some silence. I said, Devin, I am pushing two kids who don't know the definition of silence. She said, well, God might speak to you if you had some silence. I said, you know what? Why don't you just keep running and let me walk and listen to my Christmas list? But it's true. Sometimes we can't hear God because we don't have the opportunity to pause and to process what he's saying. And he refuses to give you clues about what's next until you have appropriately stewarded what he is saying right now. The Bible is clear about the word of God. It is precious. And when God speaks to us, we ought to have the ability to be like Mary. When God spoke to Mary, Luke 1 says that Mary, listen, she pondered these things in her heart. And sometimes we just get so excited and enthralled in the promise of God that we do not sit down long enough in silence to think about what is he saying to me. Here in Malachi, or there in Malachi, he told the priest, you've defiled my house. You've rejected my voice. You've stolen from the temple. 
And they actually have the unmitigated goal to look back at God and say, in what way have we robbed you? In what way have we dishonored you? It was as if they were saying that God was not being truthful. And God is saying to his people, if you can't accept what I'm saying and process my word correctly, maybe you need a season of silence so that you can think about what I said. Process what I told you so that the word that I told you doesn't become unfruitful in your life. Listen, the word of God has the power to accomplish what God sent it to do. Isaiah the prophet said it will not come back void. But the reason the word doesn't always produce what it is intended to produce in some of us is because we don't mix the word with faith. We pollute the word with the cares of this world, the worries of this life, and we get so caught up in the, 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 the process and, the, and all of the, of the craziness of life and we don't sit down sometimes to let the word that he spoke to us actually transform us. Silence will cause you to process things. Silence will also allow for a season of preparation. Do you understand that while it seemed God was silent in those 400 years between the Old and New Testament, we should not interpret that as that God went to sleep. Silence from God is not to say that there was nothing of significance that was happening in the lives of his people. In fact, if you understand what was going on in that intertestamental period, you will understand the many historic events of that time that were fulfilled during those 400 years. Namely, and especially the vision that God gave Daniel in Daniel 7 and Daniel 9. God showed him, remember this, the great statue. Of all of the, you ought to read Daniel 7 and 9. It's amazing the prophetic accuracy that God spoke with. God showed Daniel a picture of a statue that represented all of the different kingdoms of this world. What you must understand is that during those 400 years of silence between Malachi and Matthew, those things were coming to pass. Malachi prophesied during the Medo-Persian Empire. If you keep reading history between Malachi and Matthew, you will see that the Greek Empire and then the Roman Empire began to flourish. The Jews had been allowed to rebuild Jerusalem under the Persian Empire. They lived as a people but did not follow all that God had instructed. But when the Greeks came, the Greek language, don't miss this, this is all in those 400 silent years. The Greek language became a common language across all people groups in the known world. Eventually, the Old Testament was translated into Greek. We call this the Septuagint for you Bible study theologians. You know that the Romans came after the Greeks. What was the significance of the Roman Empire flourishing in these 400 years? I'll tell you this. Romans built roads. The Romans built roads. That doesn't sound spiritual, does it? But it is spiritual. Why is it spiritual that during those 400 years, God was working behind the scenes even through carnal culture? Romans were building roads which would one day become the roads that carried the, the missionaries and carried the preachers of the gospel to tell the story of Jesus. There would have been no roads without the Romans. God was working through a carnal Roman empire. God, I feel this. To prepare the earth for the gospel. 
It's silent, pastor. Nothing's happening in my life. What if God is building roads? What if God is getting you ready to take you places you could have never gone? What if God is preparing things? Not just what if. I came to tell you that's what he's doing. He's preparing things for you that as Devin said this morning, you're, going, you're not going to live in disappointment. When God begins to show you what he was up to, you're about to get real thankful you didn't give up. It's a time of processing. It's a time of preparation. And not only that, but sometimes silence is a time of purifying. I could have went all day without saying this one, but I found out that when we live in silence, we are left to ourselves. And sometimes when left to ourselves, we hear the voice within and we begin to discover who we really are. And I don't know about you, but when I get alone and I begin to take inventory of who I really am, it drives me back to remind, being reminded I really need God. Some of y'all are too sanctified for this one. Some of us speak in too many tongues and you're too holy to accept what I'm preaching to you right now, but I wanna tell you that silence is sometimes your best friend because it's in the, it's in the monotony of the day-to-day rush hour life that we live that we fall out of touch with how much we really need God and who we really are on the inside. It's when I sit and I'm able to think about how far away from him I was and he came for me how much I needed him and still need him sometimes silence reminds me that I haven't arrived yet I am not who I used to be but I'm still not what I'm going to be and silence causes me to come back to him and say Lord don't leave me like you found me I tell you what there's one reason why some of you keep a loud life it's because you don't like who you really are I'm gonna walk around, I said something, Bob. I did say something. Some of us keep music loud. We keep friends loud. We keep our circles big. We keep our social life on the move. We post about how awesome we are on social media and it's really, a, it's, it's, a, it's a camouflage. It's, it's fake, it's not real. And we need to be reminded that the social media life, we see all these people telling us how great it is. Most of the time, it's a smoke screen for the mis- on the inside I refuse to get depressed about watching somebody else's highlight reel and it's showing me how un whatever my life really is people really do need God and people really do sometimes need to be reminded that they need God and let me tell you this it's okay that you are not all that in the bag of potato chips. It's really okay for you to acknowledge that your breath stinks in the morning when you wake up. It's really okay for you to acknowledge that you don't always wake up dressed that fine. And we're not silent long enough to see our own condition. And when we don't really accept who we are or know who we are, we run through this life thinking we've arrived and in reality, we're not there yet. And silence will purify you. 
I have found that when I get uncomfortable with who I am, I fill my life with noise. And some of you need to know today that the more noisy you like your life, it's probably an indication there's something being hidden underneath the, the surface. And here's what I want to tell you. Silence is a gift. Well, I don't have no friends in my life and nobody's talking to me and I can't get nobody to message me back on Instagram and I went down to uh, all these dating agencies and I can't find no friend. It, it ain't that you're not beautiful. It's not that you're not handsome. It's not that you're not educated. It's not that people don't like you. It's that God loves you enough to allow some voices to be turned off in your mind because he, he wants the version of you that is not polluted, that is not a, a deceived version of you. And sometimes silence is the gift. 400 years, not a prophetic voice. And then suddenly, out of nowhere, God starts talking. Aren't you thankful silence doesn't last forever? Oh, I can't find no help here now. I said, aren't you thankful that silence doesn't last forever? Uh-huh. Uh, silence isn't supposed to last. There are seasons of silences, but there, there are not sentences of silence. You are not sentenced to a life of silence for the rest of your life. I have good news to bring to you today. God is a speaking God. If he's not speaking, he's processing, he's preparing, and he's purifying. But I want to tell you that there comes a moment when you, in your purifying place, you come to yourself like the, I believe many people in the Jewish, in the Jewish day, they were hungry for the Messiah. After 400 years of silence, it will create in you a hunger to hear his voice again. And I want to tell you what you do when the season is a silent one determines what happens when the season of silence ends. You need to get hungry in a season of silence. You need to pursue God when life is silent. You don't need to make church, uh, you know, an option. God is an option. You know, he ain't talking to me and I don't know if I'm going to go back to church because nothing is working in my life and I don't even know if I'm going to read my Bible and have a prayer life because nothing Nothing is happening when I do. Oh, that is not when you disconnect. That is not when you say throw in the towel. That is when you say, oh, oh, no, no, no. It will not end like this. I believe I'm going to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. I cannot stop pursuing you just because you won't talk to me. Job, keep on talking. God is listening even when you don't feel like he's listening. And if you'll get hungry for him, He'll come and meet with you. 400 years. And God starts talking. And the first person that he talks to is a priest. And you would say to yourself, well, that has no implication in my life. I am not a priest. That's only because you forgot to read 1 Peter. But we are a royal priesthood. A chosen generation. A peculiar people who should show forth the praises of him who he brought out of darkness in his marvelous light. We are priests unto God. Lord, I feel like preaching here. And we do bring sacrifices. And the sacrifices we bring to God this morning are not lambs and turtle doves and bulls, but we bring him sacrifices of praise. Praise is my sacrifice that I give to God, Lord. 
Praise is what I lay on the altar of my life. Praise is what I bring him when I walk through the doors. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and come into his courts with praise. Enough with this foolishness in religion where we say the preacher and the worship leader bring our worship for us. They are not your priest. You have become a priest unto God. Find a hallelujah. Find a praise the Lord. Find a clapped hand. Find a lifted hand and bring your praise to God. Slap your neighbor, tell your neighbor you are a priest. You are a priest. Religion told you you were a member of a church, but the Bible calls you a royal priesthood. Snatch yourself up out of that thing. Get yourself in a posture of praise. Whoever told you I'm not, I'm not like that. I don't do that. You do do that. You are a priest of the Lord, and priests never come into an altar without a sacrifice to lay on the altar. Somebody give him a praise right now. Bless the Lord. All ye servants of the Lord, which by night stand in the house of the Lord. The Bible said God is great and greatly to be praised. You are a priesthood. And when the silence was over, the first person he spoke to was a man who had the ability to speak to the people. But we have a problem, Houston. Houston, we have a problem. Because the priest, after 400 years of silence, you would expect that the priest would get excited. And the priest who was standing in the house of faith, standing in the house that faith built, the temple, He's standing in the house of faith where God has promised Solomon that from this place, I will hear your voice. From this place, you will lift your voice and I will hear your voice. In this place, he's standing in the house of faith and the angel shows up and said, you're getting ready to have a son. I told you this last week. And the Bible said fear came on him. How can you be standing in the place of faith filled with fear? And then not only are you standing in the place filled with fear, but you began to speak according to the fear rather than according to the faith. I'm not finding no help in here. And God said, wait a minute. What I, Gabriel, what Gabriel relayed to you, what Gabriel relayed to you, Zechariah, the Bible said it was supposed to produce joy for everybody. But nobody's getting joy when the priesthood is full of fear and doubt. This is why I preach into you so much about faith and strength. Because the the world is looking for hope and DC don't have it. I'm gonna come over here and holler for a minute. The world is looking for hope and Wall Street don't give me any security. The world is looking for hope and they can't find it in the left or the right. And I've got to preach this to the people of God because as the priesthood, we are supposed to be full of faith and full of expectation. And when God begins to speak and we don't know how he's going to do it, we start lining up with fear and doubt. And God said, okay, 400 years of silence wasn't enough for you. So I'm going to give you nine more months of it. (laughs) 
We always talk about, Zechariah was mute for nine months. The whole land was in muteness for 400 years. And it wasn't enough. And God said through the angel Gabriel, all right, since you don't have, he actually rebuked his unbelief. He said, since you don't believe, I'm not going to let you talk about this until the baby comes. Nine months. He could not speak. It does not say he could not see. It said he could not speak. So my mind started thinking, what did he do for nine months? The priest couldn't speak. So what did he do for nine months? What would you do if you couldn't talk? I see some husbands in here like, Father, I'm my Messiah. I'm wrong, but it's right. You know it's, it's true. Some of you men need to repent, but you know right now, you're like, Father, if you're going to hit a woman with it. <laughs> what would you do if for, for nine months you could not speak? I cannot tell you scripturally and authoritatively what Zechariah did, but I can suggest what my mind would let me see that could be scriptural. Nine months as a priest, he spends time among the people like he normally would, and he starts seeing things. He sees the woman with the issue of blood. He sees the man who's paralytic that gets drug around by his four friends. Oh, no, no, no. We know about them because later on, Jesus would heal all of them. But for those nine months, they were alive. They, they were in the city. And here is this priest who for nine months is seeing the blind man. Seeing the lame man. Seeing the sinful woman who had a past. He saw all of the problematic issues and the people of Israel. He passed by the people who were broke down in life. The man that was laid at the pool of us. He saw it all as the priest couldn't speak, but he saw it. And I believe the priest, Zechariah, seeing the plight of all of the people, started thinking about the angelic visitation. I feel this thing that he had in that temple. And he was thinking, my God, I almost missed it. I almost missed it. God was trying to show me he's up to something. He's bringing hope and salvation. And me and my religious self, I'm talking, uh, I'm just, this is the Wallace unauthorized translation. I can see Zechariah processing what he had seen in the temple and what he was watching as he walked through the city. And all of the people whose lives were in shambles, they were looking for hope but had found hope in no other place for nine months he couldn't say anything and then verse 57 of Luke 1 says and in the fullness of time Elizabeth gave birth to a son boy there's a sermon I like to preach in that first chapter of Luke it's called don't let your cousins name your baby 
I said it, that's right. Don't let your cousins name your baby. Do you know why? Because after waiting nine months and 400 years, Elizabeth was about to use her virgin womb to give birth to a prophetic voice that would shape the, the very landscape of the religious, uh, uh, the religious landscape of that day. And he was about to change some things. And instead of calling him what heaven wanted to be called, all her cousins said, call him Zechariah Jr. Because the church doesn't understand how to name something new and how to allow God to do something fresh. We are always, hold on. We are always trying to clone the next generation. And there are many people in the church, if they can't clone you, they will disown you. And they will throw you out if you don't look like them and sing like them and dress like them and act like them. And I come to tell you, God is raising up a John generation and this house will not be stuck in a Zechariah moment when there is one coming. But yes, he looks a little weird. He dresses in camel hair. Yes, he eats different kind of food. He'll dip a locust in honey, bop the head off and say, repent ye for the kingdom of God is at hand. But I've made up my mind. Feel the Holy Ghost. I've made up my mind I will not miss Jesus because I don't know how to hear the voice of John. God, don't let your cousins name your baby. But that ain't what I'm preaching. He takes him on the eighth day. He still can't talk. He takes him on the eighth day. Uh-huh. And he bring, they bring him. Oh, that's good. The eighth day. Eight is the number of new beginnings. And God wanted his name to be changed because there was a new beginning getting ready to be begun in the place of Israel. And God said on that day, they took him to, 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 to circumcise him and to tell everybody his name. All the cousins and the family were there. And they said, oh, look at Zechariah Jr. And Elizabeth said, his name will be called John. And they said, no, wait a minute. Ain't nobody in your house named John. Uh huh. And they looked at Zechariah, the mute preacher, and they said, What do you want to call him? And he said, Bring me, bring me the pad, the, the iPad. Sort of. It wasn't an iPad. It was actually a wax pad with wax on it and it had a writing instrument. And when they brought it to him, they fully expected Zechariah to call his son after his name. But Zechariah said unequivocally, without discussion, without comment, without voting, without your approval, his name shall be called John. And everybody freaked out. Why? Because the priest didn't call him by something that had already been he called him because of what he was going to be and I want to tell somebody who feels like you can't be what the church used to be there's a reason why you are divinely disrupted on the inside it's that God is not trying to reproduce what has been he's trying to find a voice in the wilderness that will declare the word of the Lord slap your Neighbor right now, tell your neighbor, my name is John. My name is not Zechariah. I'm thankful for what God did in the church 50 years ago. But this is a new day. And I will not miss what God is doing. I'm almost through. But I ain't through yet. He called him John. And when he called him John, read the text immediately 
his tongue got loosed. Ah. Somebody said, what was that? My tongue got loose. Hallelujah. Have you ever been in a season of silence? Have you ever been in a season where God wasn't talking and you couldn't even speak about it yourself? You didn't know what to say and you didn't know how to say it. You didn't know how to answer the question. You didn't know where God was taking you. And all of a sudden, after a season of silence, you finally got with the prophetic program. Ooh. And the Bible said that his tongue got loose and immediately he started praising God. Oh Lord, I know some of y'all think we're crazy because we always talk about praise. I know some of you think we're a little bit extra because we always ask you to shout. But some of you need to understand silence is not a voice of victory. Silence is not the sound of breakthrough. But when it's been silent for a season and when you haven't had all the answers, God will break through the silence and the appropriate response is to lift up your hands and to open up your mouth and to begin to give God praise. I feel something breaking in this room today. Somebody has been in a season of silence. Somebody hadn't had all the answers. Somebody's felt like giving up. But I feel like praising him in the midst of my situation. He's loosing your tongue right now. He he started praising God. And that would be all I needed to preach this message, but he doesn't stop with praise. He sings a song. Touch somebody, tell them to sing a song. Now you may not know this, but this is a song. And uh, in the early church, they called it the Benedictus. Uh-huh. It was a song. Do you know that there were four songs sung during the Christmas narrative? Mary sang the Magnificat. Uh-huh. Simeon sang songs of thanks that God let him live long enough to see the salvation of Israel. And the angels sang glory. Glory to God. There were four songs associated with the Christian narrative, the Christmas narrative. But this is the fourth song. It's sung by the priest. His name is Zechariah, and the name of the song is the Benedictus. And uh, the fourth century church put this prophecy and this song to music. Yeah, can you imagine what it sounded like? When after 400 years plus nine months of silence, uh, he said, uh, y'all been singing long enough? Let the priest sing. So what did he sing? I told you what he sang. He sang, blessed, is the Lord God of Israel for he has visited I feel an old preacher spirit on me right now he has visited and redeemed his people and then I got blessed on verse 69 this is the verse that blessed me in the song it said God has raised up a horn of salvation now when you start talking about a horn of salvation immediately, 
my mind takes me to Daniel 10. And uh, there's a story about a beast and the 10 horns of the beast uh, that were the, the, the ruling rulers and the kings of the kingdoms of this world uh, and how they resisted the, the Holy One of God. And what God was saying is, the earth has their kings which repre- are represented by the 10 horns. But God said, I've got my own horn that I'm gonna exalt over every king on the earth. Because what he was saying is, there is no king like King Jesus. Can I preach about Jesus in here? Some people have made church about everything but Jesus. But I'm going to tell you right now, there's no rest without him. There's no healing without him. There's no deliverance without him. There's no hope without him. There's no peace without him. Anybody glad for the horn of salvation? His name is Jesus. And I didn't come to tell you the world doesn't have a horn. I come to tell you that the horn of my salvation has been lifted up above every other name, above every other king, above above every other potentate, above every other president. Paul said his name is above every other name. Why are you so loud? Why are you so loud? Because he loosed my tongue. Have you not noticed that every other people group, every other movement, every other thing in this nation is getting louder and the church has become so politically correct. We've gotten quiet while everybody else turned up the volume. Slap your neighbor, tell a neighbor in the name of Jesus, I'll loose your tongue. I loose you to declare the goodness of the Lord. You've been silent long enough. You've been quiet long enough. The earth is in darkness. You know the light. Open up your mouth. Turn the light on. Let God arrive. Somebody shout and loose your tongue and praise the Lord. I'm done with this. I'm done with this one here. He, the Bible said in verse 71, God raised him up that we might be saved from our enemies. Now let me first of all suggest and help us understand something. Having just returned from Jerusalem, I want to tell you this, this The original application and the import of this text is not that he was speaking to the church. He was speaking to the Jewish people. That's why Zechariah kept saying, us, us, us. He's Jewish and he's talking to the Jewish people. God's going to save us. So if he's not talking to the church, why am I preaching this? Because if he was faithful to the Jews, y'all miss what I just said. If he was faithful to Abraham's seed, then he is faithful to commit himself to do what he told us he would do for the church. Well, what did he say he would do for the church? I'm glad you asked because Matthew 16 says he made this declaration standing at Caesarea Philippi up on this rock. I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I come to praise God today that God raised up a horn of of salvation to deliver us from the very hand of the enemy.
enemy. Drug addiction was a hand. That hand had your life. But the horn of salvation was raised up to deliver you from the hand of drug addiction. Uh, That lying spirit had a hand, but God raised up Jesus to deliver you from the hand of the enemy. The devil wanted to kill you, and he thought he had you in his hands. But God delivered you from the from the hand. You've been delivered from the hand. Devil thought he had you. How in the world did you get delivered from the hand of the enemy? It's the same way Jesus got delivered from the hand. On, on Friday, uh, rewind, let me, let me run back one day sooner. Uh, there was a woman that anointed him with oil. Uh, she anointed him for his death. Have you ever caught that? She put oil on him for his death. Uh, how did he get delivered from the hand of death? I tell you how. When you got the oil on your life and the devil puts his hand on you, you slip right through. Oh God, I better quit because I feel like preaching. Have you ever been anointed by the Holy Ghost? It will explain to you how drug addiction cannot kill you. It will explain to you how the devil couldn't take you out. It looked like the devil snuck up on you and had you, but the oil caused you to slip through the hand. When, when something's difficult, we say, it would be easier to catch an oily pig. How many know what I'm talking about? You know, trying. Can you catch that? No, you. Can. I've seen this thing at these. Uh, what did we go to, Devin? The rodeos, and they let these kids run out in the mud pen with a, the oily pig, and they try to grab the pig. The pig's oily, slips right through the hand. That's why you slip through the hand of the enemy. The oil of God is on your life. We have been delivered from the hand of the... We're going home, but look at your neighbor and act like you know what 1988 was all about and tell him, you can't touch this. Come on, talk to somebody, tell him. Tell him. Oh, come on, you millennials, get with it here. Come on, look at your other neighbor and tell him, you, you can't touch this. It's not that the enemy didn't try to take you out. It's that God raised up the horn of your salvation. And instead of the enemy putting his hands on you and doing what he wanted, somehow you slipped through, hey, you slipped through glory. You slipped through the hands of the enemy. That's why we shout this morning because we know we've got victory. I don't feel like I got the victory. I dare you to praise him no matter how you feel because the oil still works. Stand with me, I'm through preaching. Somebody loose your tongue and give God a real good praise. Oh, that's a cut. Oh, yeah, no, I'm not talking about this one. I'm talking about thank you that you didn't let me die. Thank you that I didn't lose my mind. Thank you that the drug overdose didn't happen. Thank you that the car crash didn't kill me. Thank you. Anybody got a loose tongue? And, and I'm through here. He says, 
he says to, to John the Baptist, you're going to be mighty and you're going to be a voice. And look at what the last verse said. It's not part of the prophecy. It's the fulfillment of it. John the Baptist waxed strong in spirit. The anointing increased on his life. Now, you may think that was just happenstance, but I believe it happened because his father prophesied under a mighty unction. This son of mine, this son of mine, John, is going to turn the hearts of many back to the heart of God. I'm going to end with this one right here in Christmas time. Be careful what you speak over your children. Your words are a self-fulfilling prophecy. There is a reason why God, I'm telling you this, if you don't catch nothing else I say, catch this one. There is a reason why Zechariah could not speak for nine months. He would have prophesied a much lesser destiny than the one God intended for his son to manifest. So God shut him up until he got full of faith. And then he started speaking about his son. Lord, I feel the Holy Ghost here. He started speaking about his son. Look at John 1. Look at Luke 1. I'm going to give it to you one more time and we're going home. But watch this. When he begins to prophesy, he says, You child. He's standing over the baby bed of John the Baptist. He ain't got no camel hair on at that point, I don't think. He's nursing at Elizabeth's breast. He's not eating locusts and wild honey yet. While he's laying in the bosom of Elizabeth, Zechariah understands now that his tongue has been loosed, that there's power in declaring the prophetic word. So he says to John, you child, you will turn hearts toward God. You will go before the face of the Lord and prepare his ways. You will be a prophet of the highest. And it happened just as John said it. The greatest gift some of you can give your children this Christmas season is not the laptop they've asked for. It's not the Xbox 390. Oh, it's 360. I know that. I'm just checking to see if you're listening. <laughs> the greatest gift you can give your child is not a new iPhone Pro 14 Max Ultra Huge. <laughs> the greatest gift you can give your child is a prophetic word. I can see him now. Looking at that baby. Saying, I almost messed this up. I almost jacked this whole thing up, John. My religion almost caused me to screw up the plan of God. But God loved me enough to put me in a season of silence until my spirit got right. And now that my tongue, now that my tongue is loose, I refuse to speak religion over you, John. You're going to be a prophet. You're not going to be another priest after the order of Aaron. You're going to be a prophet of the Most High. 
speak to your children's future. Do not agree with where they are. Speak to their future. Well, my child, my child is so rebellious. You keep speaking to the rebellion in your child, they'll keep living in rebellion. Start speaking blessing over your child and watch it shift. Well, I give my baby everything they want and they're still miserable. Cause stuff doesn't create identity. It is the word of the Lord spoken out of your mouth in faith over their life that creates their future. And I felt like telling somebody before I close today, the greatest gift God is calling a father and a mother in this house to give their children. My Bashiach, I feel the Holy Ghost right now on my spirit. The greatest gift you can give your child is to speak the word of the Lord. So I'm gonna challenge you to do something. I'm gonna give you a take home. And some of y'all are too, too cool for this one. But some of you are going to do something that's going to shift the trajectory of your child's life. I want you to go home over the next 13, 14 days and write a prophetic word over your child. You say, well, I don't know if it's truly prophetic or not. If you'll pray and ask God, he'll give you a word. Write it down and put it in an envelope and put it under that tree with all those other games. Because John doesn't get his identity from the temple. He doesn't get his identity from the cousins. He doesn't get his identity from all the other priests. He gets his identity from a prophetic dad. Where am I, where are my dads at in here? Lift your hand if you're a dad. Come on, I need some. I, I'm not meaning arrogant, but how many are proud to be a daddy? Yeah, yeah. You get beat up enough in society, you ought to be thankful God allowed you to have some children. I will tell you this right now, this house will not produce anemic, weak, broke down, impotent men. We're going to have some fathers that know how to shape the future of a generation because we know how to shape the heart of our children. So dads, go home next few days. You don't have to be deep. If you need some help, call the office. We'll give you some beginner stuff, just ideas. Just write some stuff down about them. You are, you're going to be mighty in God. You're going to do great things for the Lord. You're going to be a voice. Remember when they came? I got to shut up. I know it's almost Christmas, but I tell you, this thing is in my spirit. When they went to John, they said, who are you? John chapter one, they went to him out in the wilderness. They said, who are you? The preachers from Jerusalem came to him. They looked at him and they standing up there with their priest robes on and he got on some camel hair, looking fine. Camel hair and long hair and honey all over his beard. And the head of a locust stuck on the other side of his beard. They looked at him and they said, who are you? Are you a priest? Nope. Took another locust, dipped it in honey. You a prophet? No. Who are you? I'm a voice. 
Who told you you were a voice? My daddy told me I was. Wouldn't it be something if we raised up a whole generation of children that when this crazy, chaotic, demon-possessed culture tried to tell them they were born at 18 months transgender, what if they looked back and said, no, you came too late to confuse my identity. My mom and my daddy already told me who I am. Got kids losing their way in the church because parents in the church thought they had to, to experience God for themselves and they put the kids back there all by themselves and they never told them who they were in God. I rebuke the lie of the devil. If God's going to loose your tongue, it's not just so you can praise the Lord. It's so that you can prophetically speak over the future of your children. So we're going to do something, brothers. I'm asking fathers, and if, sweet lady, if you're a single parent mama, and you don't have a husband in your home, I want you to know that you can write this for your children. And if you don't want to, I just feel this in my spirit. I was about to say it and I don't say things I can't do. So if I say I'm gonna do it, I'm gonna do it. If you're a single parent mama and you need somebody to write a word over your child, you don't feel comfortable, you call the office of this church this week. I'll sit down at my office and write a prophetic word over every one of your, your children for the single parent mamas in this place. I believe in the word of the Lord. That's strong. They will not run to social media to find their identity. They won't run to that mess if you tell them who they are. I want every father in this house. What's the date? Somebody tell me the date. 12-11. You have 14 days. That's double completion. 14 days, take a child a day. Well, you don't have 14 kids unless you're like me, unless you're like me. <laughs> take some time to sit down and write perhaps the most significant gift you'll give them all year. Speak over their future. If you're in this place, I'm gonna, I'm gonna ask you to bow your head and in just a moment, I'm gonna release you. But if you need ministry, I'm gonna open this altar up to you. If you're in this place and you've been in a season of silence and you need the Lord to lose something that's been bound up on the inside of you. If you've been in preparation and you've been processing and you've been purifying and this season of Christmas cheer has not been one of cheer so far. I just believe God wants to do something in somebody's life who's been in a season of silence. If I preach to you today and the Lord is loosing your tongue, lift your hand right now. You just say, I feel God doing something in my life. If you need someone to agree with it and you want prayer in it, I want you to come out of your seat and come stand with me right now. Yeah. Listen, as they come, we'll be here Wednesday night at seven. You go when you got to go in the peace of the Lord. People are going to come pray. I want Tobin and the team to come. I want us to worship the Lord in just a moment. I just feel like in this moment, God wants to come into agreement with some people who've been in a season of silence and something is breaking up on the deep place of you. In the deep place. Your tongue is getting ready to be loose. Your life is getting ready to break open. Maybe you've been in a season of unbelief about the promises of God over your life. 
Maybe you've been struggling to believe in the purpose and the plan of God for your life. Maybe you have a hard time accepting those promises, those prophetic words, those prophecies. Maybe the enemy got you believing God can't do all that. But you still have a future. And God ain't through with your life yet. Spirit of the Lord. Come on, lift your hands all over this church right now. I want those that came to the altar just begin to help. Help me pray. I'm about to come back. I'm just going to pass by and come into agreement with some people. But right now, tongues, hearts, minds, souls that have been bound up, even in silence. I just want you, if you're in this room and you're left, I know some people got to go. We understand that. But if you're in this room and you're left, I need you to begin to lift your hands and just begin to loose your own tongue and praise God. Come on. Come on. Just fill this room with some worship right now. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Tell him I'm a so marabashande de becorabasa. Oh, come, let us adore him. Come on, worshipers. Oh, come, let us adore him. Oh, come, let us Adore him. I bless the Lord. I bless the Lord for what he's doing in your life today. We'll give him all the glory. I praise you for what you're doing in her life right now. Loose her into a season of singing. The devil tried to steal your song. But I thank you, God, for breaking her through right now. I thank you, God, for breaking. Come on, people of God. Hey. I loose you to sing again. I lose you to sing again. I lose you to sing again. A season of silence is being broken. A season of silence is being broken. And I mean in your children too. Oh, Somebody lift up your voice. Somebody begin to praise them in this house. setting it completely loose totally free hallelujah I pray right now God that a season of questions a season of silence even if doubt is being broken oh my shatter. Holy Spirit I thank you oh come let us adore Holy Ghost thank you Holy Spirit thank you for touching our life today hallelujah Come on, lift your hands, family. Lift your hands and give him worship. Oh, come. Spirit of the living God, I thank you right now that a season, an extended season of silence is being broken. Sing. I hear the Lord saying, it's okay to sing again. Hallelujah. Every hand lifted, every voice lifted, we give you all the glory. We give you the glory. Hey! Holy Spirit, I thank you that a season of silence is being broken now. 
A restoration is coming on this man of God in this house. A residue is being washed away. And a fresh oil is coming on them in this moment. And I propose I thank you for what you're raising his children up to do. I come into agreement with the prophetic word over their lives. And I thank you that in this season, you're going to loose him to the point that he's going to release it afresh and anew over every one of his children. And you're going to bring the prophetic word to pass. Oh! Thank you, Holy Spirit. We speak blessing over this house. We speak blessing over this house. We declare that a season of silence is broken. This is crazy. Is this your baby? His name is Emmanuel? God told you to bring him to the altar. Well, Emmanuel, you are a prophetic sign. Emmanuel means God with us. And God is with you. I bless you. I, I bless you. I come on, speak blessing over this family right now. Lord, we bless this house. We bless this house. I cancel the last six years of confusion, pain, and chaos. And I declare to you, sweet lady, that season is over. And the word of the Lord over this house is breakthrough, 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 breakthrough. How many know that Emmanuel is God with us? Somebody who's thankful that he's with you, lift your hands one more time. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We declare it in the name of Jesus. We declare it in the name of Jesus. I declare right now that the next season of, the, of their life is not one of silence. It is one of singing. It is one of song. It is not just a song that we sing off a screen. God's about to put a prophetic song in some of your belly, in your spirit. You've never sung prophetically, but you're about to. Some of you never even spoken prophetically, but you're about to. And I declare right now that the enemy will not silence you another day. I loose your tongue in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Lay your hand on your neighbor's shoulder before we shoot out of here and tell them in the name of the Lord. I loose my neighbor's tongue right now. Tongue to sing praises. Tongue to prophesy the word of the Lord. We declare this will not be a season of silence, but the silence must shift. The word of the Lord must come forth. We thank you for it now. Come on, let's sing that, Julian, before we come out of this room right now. Come on. Everybody lift that up. God bless you. We love you. We'll see you Wednesday night at 7. Oh, come. Come on, what a word. Wow. 
if you jumped in about halfway through the sermon, I'm telling you right now, you got to go back and you got to watch the whole thing over. You got to watch all of service. It was an incredible day here at church. So, so powerful. My name is John, not Zachariah. Don't let your cousin name your baby. I received that word for myself. You better. So powerful. Come on. So powerful. Like Mike said, if you didn't watch the full service, go back and watch it. I guarantee you it will bless your spirit today. For sure. Hey, guys, don't forget midweek. Midweek is going to be incredible. Get in the building. You got um, to, service is going to be wild. Yeah. You're not going to want to miss it. Yeah. Hey, Christmas Eve, 6 p.m. chat, 5 p.m. Athens. Going to be an incredible day. You got to get in the building for Christmas Eve. Yeah. We love you guys, and we'll see you for midweek, all right? Love y'all.